0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's a day that ends in Y, and it's time for cracking with Winter! (laughs) Welcome back to the Funhouse, everybody. I bet you're wondering, Mike, are you going to do the same old show? Are you going to do the same old show where you're talking about what you don't like? Yeah. Arguing with political slash producer Paul or bringing Victoria in? Yeah. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, you all know that I'm running for lieutenant governor. This year with, with Hugh McTavish. I've got Hugh McTavish in studio with me to talk. Good morning, Hugh.
1: Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Hey, no problem. How was the drive over? It was good?
1: Oh, it was great. No, no, uh, no traffic problems at all. I was a little surprised by that, but uh, um, I guess we avoided rush hour.
0: I think traffic problems are the least of your problems because you're running <laughs> for governor of Minnesota. Yep. Now, that's taking a big bite out of the apple. I mean, why run for governor? That's what I'd like to know.
1: Well, I first started thinking about running for governor because of the lockdowns. I was so upset about the lockdowns, so convinced that it was a massive mistake that the the harm from the harm for, to our children from kicking them out of school, the harm of increased depression uh, that we were going to have from this the harm even of deaths from increased suicides and drug overdose deaths, and the harm to small business owners, restaurant owners, and other small business owners who, whose businesses were destroyed, and to the workers we threw out of, out of work. I was so convinced the harms exceed, would exceed the benefits, it seemed obvious to me that they would. So I, um, that's for, I first started thinking about about running as a result of that. Really, I'm running to promote my idea of jury democracy. Jury democracy is an idea I had Originally had 25 years ago, and I thought I'll write a book about this someday, and hopefully get this out into public discussion, and 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 uh, and maybe get politicians to implement it. And then it kind of occurred to me during this campaign that nobody reads books anymore, and uh, a better way to get it into public discussion would be to run for office and force it into the discussion in the in the, in the campaign. So that's that's the primary reason I'm running, is to promote jury democracy. And what is jury democracy? Jury democracy is my idea that we have a statistically valid sample of the population, valid of all, of all registered voters, 500 people or more. Actually, 400 or more, you have a, a uh, margin of error of 5% compared if you'd called the entire population. So 500 people or more come to the state capitol, listen to the arguments and evidence for and against a particular bill or proposal sit like a jury and listen Listen to that, actually read the bill, which our legislators often do not have time to do, break into smaller groups of 12 and talk about it with each other, deliberate, explain to the, to the other jurors how you're gonna vote and how you think they ought to vote on this, and then take a secret ballot vote. And I would amend the state constitution ultimately to require that every bill to be passed has to pass a citizen jury like that, and we can use it. We can introduce proposals originally to the jury. We can have them handle things after they've passed the legislature, and we can do it for regulatory decisions in the executive branch as well.
0: That's a mouthful. Yep. That is a lot for people to swallow. So you said you came up with the idea 25 years ago, right?
1: Uh, Yes. Where
0: were you 25 years ago?
1: Well, I wrote a book called Ending War in Our Lifetime, and I think I came up with it in the course of writing that book and thinking about it, basically.
0: So this is while you were running one of your companies. You had this idea to, for jury democracy No, in a this, book? Was,
1: this was actually when I was a graduate student. At
0: the uh, U of M?
1: At mostly, partially at the U of M, partially at Brown University in Rhode Island, and partially I was living in Colorado for a year wow. at that time.
0: That is colorful. So, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up. I was born in Minneapolis, and uh, all right, and moved to my family moved to the suburbs of Chicago to to a suburb called Lake Forest, Illinois, when I was nine. Uh, so, from fourth grade until I graduated from high school, I was living in uh, a northern suburb of Chicago, which was a great place to grow up too. As many Minnesota is, is a great place to grow up. How close were you to Chicago? It was. It's kind of kind of a far out suburb. It's 45 minute train ride or so into downtown. So, it took the train sometimes to go to Wrigley Field. Oh, I've been. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, those are some fond memories going to Wrigley Field. It's, uh, I'd still think it's probably the best ballpark in America.
0: I think I got to agree with you. I've had some really good times at Wrigley Field. Me and my friends used to pile in a car and drive out there and see a couple of games. I don't think you're really experiencing a game at Wrigley Field unless you're sitting in the bleachers. Uh, true or false? Do you agree? Disagree?
1: No, I disagree. I think you can experience it uh, in the other seats too. But the the bleachers are great. I think I've been been both places. When I was growing up, they, they, they've kind of. The, the, I always thought it would be great to sit in the uh, sit on the rooftops outside. Yeah, and when I was growing up. Those were not commercialized. So I think the people sitting on the rooftops were living in those apartment buildings right, outside. Right. And now it's very commercialized. I think they've got seats up there, and, and I think they, they sell the seats on those rooftops.
0: They do. They're making money. So being a Cubs fan, can you be a White Sox fan at the same time, or it just doesn't work? You can't like them both? You got to pick one or the other? I
1: think I, I kind of have fond feelings for both of them. No, I think there's, there's plenty of Chicagoans who like, who like both of them. But there's also plenty who hate the other. Yeah, I never <laughs> quite understood that. I have
0: friends from Chicago, and they happen to be Cubs fans. And I ask them if they ever cheer for the White Sox, and it's always a firm no. Nope. Really? Nope. I don't cheer for anything on the South Side. I don't like the South Side. I don't cheer for the White Sox. It's Cubs only, and that's it. You can't cheer for both. Yeah, That's what I've been told.
1: My brother-in-law is a White Sox fan and, and, uh, and hates the Cub. Got a good friend who's a Cubs fan first, but likes the White Sox too. My sister is probably a Cubs fan first, but likes the White Sox too. Moving where did you go to high school then? So I went to high school in Lake Forest High School,
0: okay. Lake Forest Scouts. What year did you graduate? 1980. Nice. That was a good time of music in america it was just a good time it was, in america. wasn't it
1: it was a great time for music in america yeah yeah what
0: were you into back then do you remember
1: trying to figure out how to get girls without any success <laughs> and uh played football and ba- tennis and baseball wow three-sport athlete well i didn't i only played football on the high school teams, but I was playing tennis outside of high school. And uh, my claim to fame, one of my claims to fame as an athlete is I took tennis lessons in a group, group tennis lessons outside Chicago in a group that included Andrea Yeager, which probably doesn't mean anything to most of your listeners. But Andrea Yeager was a, a teen prodigy, the next teen prodigy after Tracy Austin. And she eventually made it to number two in the world and played in a Wimbledon final. And you played
0: against her or you took a lesson from her?
1: I took less. I was on the same court with her. I never played a match against her. Ever have a conversation with her? Uh, Ask her out, maybe? Not a real conversation. (laughs) No, not a real conversation. I did play against her sister one time and did not win a point. Not
0: one, huh? (laughs) So even back then, were the serves like 60, 70 miles per hour from a semi-pro like that?
1: Oh, 60, 70 is slow. No, the, the, um, I mean, I can hit over that, I think, but uh, no, I don't, I don't know. They were, they were great for their consistency, not for the speed of their serve. Does it
0: take time to get used to something like that with a ball coming at you? I mean, I played high school baseball and I, I faced pitchers that could throw in the eighties.
1: Yeah, I think you can, I think you do get used to it. Actually. I've played, I've played tennis matches against people who serve unbelievably and the first couple of games you're like god i'm never gonna touch a touch a serve he's gonna he's gonna ace me every point point. and after a little while you figure out that you can that there's tells from his delivery you can tell whether he's ter- serving it right or left and you know you just kind of adjust and uh, and eventually uh, you're able to at least get your racket on it and i'm sure it's the same with baseball
0: a lot of people don't give tennis enough credit. They kind of write it off as kind of like this country club sport, and I would never be interested in it. But I played tennis down at the regular public courts with my friends. And I'll tell you right now that tennis is one of the hardest workouts I ever had. Besides playing basketball with my friends, tennis will drain you.
1: Yeah, it's a, in the heat. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good workout. I, yeah. saw, I saw a study one time that in England, they looked at people who played soccer, adults, middle-aged people who played soccer regularly, played tennis regularly or played um, or ran regularly. And then their death risk over 5 years whatever. The tennis players were the longest lived people. For sure. What position did you play in high school football? I was a running back and a cornerback, defensive back. I was a very slow defensive back. <laughs> oh yeah. But I would if if I could bump and run, if I kept you in front of me, I was okay, and I was very good against the run. If you got a step on me, I was toast.
0: <laughs> so who do you like professionally these days? Are you a Vikings fan, Bears fan? Oh, I'm a
1: Vikings fan. I'm a Vikings fan. Yeah.
0: Long-suffering Vikings fan yeah. with the rest of I'm us. I'm a Twins huh?
1: fan, too, also. I'm a Twins fan, not a, not a Cub. Cubs are my second-choice team, a distant second, but I'm first and foremost a Twins fan.
0: How come the Vikings can't get it done? How come we oh, cannot God, we get it done? We are cursed
1: in this state, aren't we? Uh, yeah,
0: you're a brilliant guy. You have well. What what is your um, educational pedigree again?
1: I've got a PhD in biochemistry and a law degree from the, both from the University of Minnesota.
0: You're a smart guy. Mm-hmm. What are the Vikings doing wrong?
1: Scientifically, oh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, haven't given it enough thought. No, I'm I'm not sure what they're doing wrong. I think they're just uh, bad luck. Uh, I mean, they're always they're always good. I saw something one time that they are the they have the highest winning percentage. They've got like the fifth highest winning percentage of NFL franchises for the entire history of the franchise. And of course, everybody almost every team has won a super bowl and we're near the top and we haven't won a super bowl and it's the highest winning percentage of any franchise in any sport that's never won the championship
0: god do you think they're just in it for the money and they don't really care if they win a super bowl as a business as a corporation like the vikings
1: oh corp. that's up to the owners i um no, I think Ziggy Wolf, the Wolf, seem to really want to win. The pole ads may be a little less so with the Twins, but I think the pole ads want to win too, and they're they're not willing to lose money, but they're willing to spend some money to try to win.
0: As long as we're talking sports here, did you ever read anything about Moneyball? What they did in Oakland?
1: Yeah, I saw the movie. I don't think I read the book, but yeah, the the kind of statistics and scientific look at it that uh, walk walks and home runs basically is the way to score way to score runs in baseball not trying to string together three or four singles
0: that's exactly what i was trying to explain to my softball team last night i play with a lot i still play i'm 47 years old i just came out of retirement i got to the game a little late and i got into the lineup and i was last in the lineup mm-hmm. and i noticed that the pitcher wasn't throwing any strikes but our guys were swinging at it anyway. I don't play on a very good team. <laughs> These guys just swing at whatever. And they're a little younger mm-hmm. and inexperienced with the game. So I had just got done eating my Father's Day dinner with my daughter over at Texas Roadhouse. You ever been?
1: I don't know if I have ever been to Texas Roadhouse.
0: Um, no. Very good food. Very good. Anyway, if you go to Texas Roadhouse and you have a meal, you're not doing much after. It's a lot of food. So yeah. I ate half of my meal just to even be able to walk on that field. Yep. So I went out there, and I knew the pitcher was having a hard time. I just held my bat and stared at him, and he missed me all three times. Dude, This,
1: this three, is this is softball?
0: Slow-pitch softball. He threw three balls right in a row, and I just tossed the bat over and walked to first. And I got some jeering from my teammates, like, you came all the way over here just to take a walk? I'm like, I just ate, and I'm playing <laughs> to win. You win by having people on bases. Yeah. So with that being said, do you think the Twins are taking a money ball
1: approach with just stats? Yeah, I think like they, that? to a significant extent. they they um, you know A few years ago, they set the all-time record for most home runs by a team in a season. So they seem right. to be focusing on home runs, which I guess statistically is probably the way to go. I don't like it. I think that's a boring—I I would like to change—I think they should, they should deaden the ball a little bit. We, I, we want to decrease walks and strikeouts especially, but also even home runs and get balls in play more often, I think. And also – Speed the space the speed the pace of the game. So we should have a bit a pitch clock. We should have a robo ump that calls the balls strikes balls and strikes automatically. And we should I think we should deaden the ball a bit to decrease home runs and to compensate that and and move the pitchers mound back a little bit to make it easier to uh, to make contact. Give batters a little more time to react and make it a little easier to make contact, with the goal of getting balls in play. A lot more often and a lot faster, a lot lot faster space, faster pace. And then I think baseball can be I mean, I'm a baseball fan, but I think it's kind of boring right now. But if we had if we had twice the balls in play in half the time, it would be a very exciting game.
0: It really would. Do you think that's what needs to be done to save baseball or do you think it's going to eventually just die in the vine here? If they don't I make these what, changes. I think that's
1: what needs to be done to save baseball. But I think if they did make those changes, baseball would get a lot more popular. It it also has the advantage that base that uh, baseball players are relatively ordinary size. So we can kind of all imagine that if we practiced enough, we could be major league players. You're not playing in the NFL for the most part unless you weigh three hundred pounds, and you're not playing in the NBA unless you're at least six foot seven, which is like l- way less than 1% of the popul- of men in the population are over 6 foot 7.
0: There are a couple of exceptions, but very few. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like the idea with the pitch clock and deadening
1: the ball, but removing umpires? So there'd be no umpire behind no, the plate? No, we'd still have an umpire behind the plate. They just wouldn't they would call check swings maybe and call plays at the plate just like the um, other umpires on the on the bases call the plays on the bases, but they just wouldn't call balls and strikes.
0: So I would imagine that the umpire union would fight that would fight like hell to keep that out, wouldn't they? No,
1: I don't think so because they'd have the same number of jobs. They'd have the same number of jobs. They would just have a little less to do, and it would eliminate the arguments to a large extent. I mean, I think it would help. It would help the batters uh, more than the pitchers because it would be predictable because the calls would be accurate. I think as a batter, if you got a if you got a ball that goes by that's six inches off the plate or three inches off the plate, let's say, and is called as a strike. You're not sure if the pitch is the same spot. Is that really where you're thinking, is that really the way he intends to call the strike zone or was that just a mistake? If the pitch goes in the same spot next time, is he going to call that a strike again or is he going to call it a ball? You don't really know. But with a robo-ump, if that's where it was and that was called a strike or a ball, that's the way it's going to be called the next time in the same spot. Do they have these robo-umps yet? They can call. Strikes. Yeah, uh, I mean, you see it on televised. Televised, uh, they've got the the Fox track or whatever, or the shows where the pitch was in a box. So they've got that. I think they've tested it out in. I believe they've tested it in the minor leagues. They've tested a bunch of rule changes, including even moving the pitcher's mound back. Oh, another one they tested was bigger bases, just like a six inches bigger bases or something. So it decreases the distance between bases, so it makes it a little easier to steal bases and a little easier to beat out an infield hit. It's an interesting idea. That's a lot of innovations. What do you think the traditionalists are going to say about that? Oh, a lot of traditionalists don't like it, but... Uh Boy, there was an article in the Strib I saw of sports section players commenting on some of these rule change. The pitch clock, the pitch clock, that was it, in the minor leagues. So they were using a pitch clock. I think they are using a pitch clock in the minor leagues in AAA this year. So some of the Twins players had spent time in AAA and in the majors this year. And they were all – they were unanimous in griping about – the pitch clock that they didn't like that they needed their time between pitches to think about it and plot plot the next pitch. They all hated the pitch clock, the comments section, the comments was unanimous that they were a bunch of babies and we're not paying to watch you scratch your jock and get back in the bo- in the batter's box and get ready to hit.
0: <laughs> it does get a little boring watching that. Yeah. I'm with you there. So do you think that they can shave a full hour?
1: They could shave a full hour. You could get it to under two hours. That might be a little fast. I mean, I think that'd be fine for TV, but one of the joys of going to a baseball game is sitting there and relaxing and taking your time and having time to eat your hot dogs and and just a day in the sun. So less than two hours might be a little fast, but you could get it to less than two hours if you wanted to.
0: Plus, they don't want to lose money on concessions either. Yeah, yeah. That that last hour is when... There's a lot of people that are drunk, and they start buying beers and whatnot, <laughs> and, the, and the team is making money.
1: But I like those ideas for sure. Tell me a little bit about your parents. What did they do? My dad was a was a lawyer uh, for a uh, municipal bond company in Chicago called John Nuveen, which, incidentally, I see ads for John for Nuveen on baseball stadiums around the country. And uh, my mom was a, was a housewife. She was a musician. Uh, she actually played the harp for the Kansas City Symphony. Uh, oh wow! Before we, they before they got married, played the harp through most of my childhood. She eventually gave it up, which I think is too bad. But
0: what an amazing thing to grow up with!
1: Yeah, with your mother playing the harp. I've never heard that
0: before. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. Did you ever learn to play it yourself?
1: No, I I pl- I learned. We all learned something. My sisters learned the violin and piano and i was learning the cello when i was a kid and then i wanted to quit to focus my full efforts on baseball (laughs) yeah my mom uh let me quit and she told she's told me that that was one of her biggest regrets in life was letting me quit the cello
0: how many siblings do you have two
1: two sisters what do they think of all this you running for governor they're not giving me any money for the campaign, <laughs> so they're cheapskates. I'm kind of ticked off about that. I don't know what they think exactly. I think they think it's fine. They, my one sister told me she'd be peeing in her pants if she had to appear in public uh, at a campaign uh, like I'm doing. But I think that I think it's fine. Anyway, I think they think it's fine.
0: So they're supportive.
1: They're supportive, more or less.
0: <laughs> because that is key. When I was running for mayor of Minneapolis, you got to have support from your family. It doesn't always have to be monetary. Yeah. But just the emotional support of them being there in your corner means a lot. Yeah, yeah. So we went over jury democracy. What else are you bringing to the table here? For Minnesota,
1: governing one one goal I have is govern for happiness. The goal of happiness, instead of instead of money and, and increasing the GDP. I think the goal of our government right now and the goal of our system is increasing GDP, the total economic output. Not even per capita economic output. Not even primarily making each of us happy, each of us uh, richer, but just increasing the total size of the economy. And so, for instance, we have the system, corporations and politicians, they they uh, they want population growth, population and immigration. That makes the people here poorer, but it increases the size of the economy. I want to change that to economically we focus on per capita income and wealth, not aggregate income and focus more on equality between a relatively equal and fair economic distribution instead of the skewed economic distribution we have now. But more so, uh, I want to focus on happiness. We really don't the the goal of our life is to be happy. That's that's the primary goal. We want more money, but the reason we want more money is we think it'll make us happier. And so the goal of government should be to promote happiness. And so that's um, so we should be tracking doing a uh, tracking statistics on happiness, depression levels, loneliness levels, just as carefully as we track employment and GDP and economic output now. How do you do that? How does the government do that? Uh, you can do surveys of people. Um, you could just do anonymous phone surveys or something to track happiness levels and, um, and depression levels and, and loneliness levels. Accurately track suicides and drug overdose deaths and drug abuse and alcoholism, which we, you know, for the past two years, we had updates literally every day of how many people died from COVID the previous day. We didn't find out how many people died of suicide in 2020 until very late in 2021. Over a year, almost a year, or I think over a year past the end of that year. So so we obviously considered COVID deaths to be far more important than suicides and drug overdose deaths. Do you know that number? Of what? The suicides. The According to the CDC, suicides were about flat in 2020. I don't believe that. I know people who you would predict that we know that the that the lockdowns increased the clinical depression rate from 8% to 27%. It's just absolutely staggering. So they threw one in 5 Americans into clinical depression. We know alcohol sales increased. We know drug uh, addiction and drug overdose deaths increased substantially. I think drug overdose deaths were about up about 20%. And incidentally, we lose more time of life to drug overdose deaths every year than we did to COVID in 2020 or 2021. We also lose more time of life to suicides every year than we did to COVID in 2020 or 2021. But we increased those greater risks. We, we decided, Governor Walls decided to increase those greater risks in order to fight the smaller risk of COVID.
0: So how does the governor step in and help with that with the suicide and loneliness and depression? What can the
1: Well the po- a couple of policy ideas I've thought of are name tags. We replaced the, the, the mask mandate which divided us from each one another, couldn't see people smile, it made it harder to understand people. Uh, replace the mask mandate with a name tag mandate, a name tag that says Minnesota Nice. So it's a reminder to us to be nice to one another. Minnesota nice. My name is Hugh or Mike or whatever your name is. Just the first name. We don't need no, you know, you can maintain some anonymity and you can use, you can just say my name is Bozo or, you know, if you don't want to go along with it. Just to make it a little easier to meet people, a visual reminder also to be nice to one another and that I am trying to be a nice person. I want to be a nice person to you. I think that would go a long, long way, or I I think that would help at least a little bit. And my other idea. Idea is uh, mandatory walks uh, once a week, say Thursday at a specified hour, say three o'clock in the afternoon. That everybody, sometime in the three to four o'clock hour, everybody should go is mandated. We're not actually going to enforce it or fine anybody, but everybody's mandated to go outside and take a walk for 15 minutes. So you, so you get a little exercise. Uh, You get some fresh air outside and you meet your neighbors because everybody's walking at the same time and you go to a different neighborhood from where you live and meet some people in a different neighborhood. So that I think would help would help to fight the loneliness and depression and and, uh, increase happiness as well. Do you think that social media has kind of murdered
0: happiness and people being kind and oh, civil to one another? Um, so,
1: oh, God, social media is, is terrible. I think I think it's had terrible effects on on young people, particularly, but on everybody. It amplifies the most extreme voices and the most angry voices, uh, anger and fear are the things that sell, that get clicks on social media. So we get a distorted view that there's more anger and fear out there and people who don't want to promote than there actually is. And people who don't feel angry, don't want to, don't like all this divisiveness, they don't post, so they're not on social media. It gives you a very distorted view. I think it's terrible for the um been terrible for the mental health of children and development of children. So actually, one of the other proposals I have in my book is that we close, shut down the Internet for for, 20, for one, one day a week, say say Sunday, for 24 hours.
0: I think the country would have a meltdown here. <laughs> <laughs> Not just this. I mean, we'd, we'd have a meltdown. We'd, we wouldn't know what to do without it. My own personal experience in 2020, I voted Democrat in the last presidential election, and I'm not a fan of Trump. Mm-hmm. I really dislike Trump. Yep. Okay. I don't dislike Republicans. I just don't like Trump.
1: Exactly, exactly. I don't
0: like the brand of politics that he brought. I just don't like him. And I spent the entire year of 2020 fighting with strangers over policy and Trump and Biden and whatever else. I, don't, I, I, can't, I couldn't tell you how many hours of my life I wasted Arguing with complete strangers, just throwing insults back and forth, over a guy I'll never meet, and I'll never meet Biden. Yeah, and I don't think that the Republicans or the Democrats give a damn
1: about us at all. Anyhow, well, if we win, Mike, we'll probably meet Biden and Trump. Absolutely, <laughs> and that next year, I completely
0: turned my back to the Democrats and Republicans and joined the Independence Party of yep. Minnesota or the yep. Independence
1: Alliance. How come third parties don't get more traction? It's it's our if we had ranked choice voting, they would. People would the, the reason people don't vote for third parties and don't consider voting for third parties is that they think they're wasting their vote, and they kind of are when there is a two uh, when it, in our system where if three can't where we don't have ranked choice voting and it's first past the vote. So if first past the post, as they say, so if one candidate gets 39% of the vote, another gets thirty thirty seven, and another gets whatever, 25%, uh, the one with 39% wins. Even if the, the, Everybody who didn't, the over 60% of the population that didn't vote for him despises that person and would have preferred either of the other two candidates. So that's, uh, we we would be so much better off if we had proportional representation, where a third party that gets 5% of the votes gets 5% of the seats in the legislature. And if we had ranked choice voting, so if nobody gets 50% of the vote... We add your se- we add your second choices to that until and if that if you no, still with the second choice votes added to the first choice votes still nobody's at for fifty percent then you add the third choice votes until somebody gets fifty percent of the vote so you get the candidate who is most acceptable to everybody we would uh, we would be so much better off if we had that and I, I support that concept of ranked choice voting. I think we should expand it to the entire state uh, in all elections and in t- to the entire country in all elections.
0: It worked great in Minneapolis when I ran last year.
1: Did you have ranked choice voting it in that It was ranked race? choice. Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: Many people ranked me third. Okay. Their third choice. Yeah. Which I'll take as a complete unknown. Yeah. I still managed to get third, a lot of third place votes.
1: Yeah. Great. Good for you.
0: Wh- who do you think is standing in the way of this from well, the two parties, going nationally. the
1: two parties, the Republicans and Democrats benefit from this system, the Republicans especially. The Democrats, I think, ought to go with with ranked choice voting. They would. The third party can Third parties, moderates and greens, for instance, would more would be more acceptable to Democrats and would basically share a lot of the same goals. So I think the Democrats actually ought to support third the ranked choice voting, and uh, proportional representation. But certainly the Republicans and, to a lesser extent, the Democrats, they benefit from the current system. And kind of any, by definition, really, any politician who's been elected, and they're the ones writing the laws and making the policies, they got elected under the current system. Why would they want to change the system?
0: <laughs> I really wish they would. Yeah. I think we'd have a, a more fair democracy if we did. Yeah. No, so. There's going to be a couple of debates, I would imagine, this season between Mm -hmm. the candidates for governor. How do you
1: get into that debate? I think we need to get to 5%... Ten percent of the poll in the polls, and then they'll they'll add us to the debate. I would I would hope we can host our own debates. I, I intend to host a a governor's forum with my jury system, where we have a statistically valid sample of all registered voters, four hundred or so. Invite myself and the two major party candidates, and uh, we each get relatively unlimited time to explain why we think voters should vote for us. An hour, perhaps and voters get to ask us questions they may maybe get to have some one-on-one conversations with us and get to know each other know us and then they they uh, and then i think they can talk to each other a bit deliberate for a bit about uh, about their choices and then then vote vote for us in ranked choice voting so i'd intend to host a forum like that a, a demonstration of jury democracy in a way and a demonstration that i think the voters once they know what i stand for and and uh, know me i think they'll prefer me i think as the number one choice even will i'll win that i, I certainly by ranked choice voting i would win that
0: oh i think you will too most yeah. definitely so it's just like a town hall yeah but they get to vote yep i think minnesotans could
1: really get behind that so how do people get your book Oh, my book is COVID Lockdown Insanity. That's uh, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and... um and your local bookstore. Hopefully, uh, they can certainly order it if they don't have it in stock. Yeah. So that that's um, and our, our campaign website is McTavish4MN. The number four dot org. Go there. Please donate. This ta- this takes money. So please please donate to our campaign and sign up for sign up for for on our newsletter. You'll you'll get updates as um, uh, about blog pieces and and campaign appearances and and so on. And uh, yeah, so please please join the campaign.
0: And anything and everything helps.
1: Anything and everything helps. Absol- absolutely, yes. But uh, unfortunately. Or fortunately, we um, the system system runs on money, and uh, at least currently, until we can get better campaign finance reform and public financing of campaigns. So we need uh, we need participation financially as well as uh, as well as uh, with your spreading social media, spreading our e- emails, and so on, and and um, do volunteering for the campaign.
0: Even if you don't have the scratch, just liking us on Facebook, liking the campaign page. And sharing our information yep. helps a great deal.
1: Yep. Following us on social media, Facebook and and uh, TikTok and Twitter and so on, uh, which for my which is at McTavish the McTavish4MN or at Hugh McTavish. You got to spread the word.
0: You got to spread the word out there because people don't even know that usually there's a third party and yeah, it's viable.
1: Often, yeah, they are. They often don't know, right? So I think once once we get our names out there and people are aware of our campaign i think they'll like what we stand for and so the the biggest hurdle is is name recognition and just getting people to to know us
0: and we're still working on that yep. one podcast at a time one right here one podcast you? at a time yeah well anyway i well, thank you for coming in i'm sure your parents would be insanely proud of you
1: thank thank you mike yeah unfortunately they've passed away but uh um i'm not sure we, used to, we often disagreed about politics, so I, when I thought I might run for, for office, I wasn't sure whether I'd get their vote. I think I'd get their vote now.
0: Oh, I know you'd get their vote. <laughs> no, I'm proud of you. I love what you stand for. I'm very proud to be running with you. And let's keep this up.
1: Let's keep this up. Thank you for having me, Mike.
0: No problem. Thanks again, Hugh. Um, hey, don't forget to like and rate us on iTunes if you enjoyed this episode of Wisecrackin with Winter. You can also reach out on Facebook to our Wisecracker with Winter like page, or Twitter, or Instagram, or everywhere. Show some support for the Ind- Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota, please. And keep on listening. I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye.